Hello guys. What the freaking heck is up? Okay, so I know it's been a hot, fat, juicy minute since I've been back. If you can't tell on my voice, um, still not well. <clears throat> Sorry, that's disgusting. Okay. In my defense, I got influenza A like a week before Christmas and then was deathly ill for like two weeks. Um, and then I went on vacation because I haven't seen my parents in a while. So I went to go see my dad. And then while I was with my dad, I got COVID. So it's it's been a trip to say the least. But you know, I'm healthy-ish now. No COVID, no influenza A. You know, the whole ordeal. Um, If I randomly like step back from the mic and cough sorry i literally can't help it i cough every like 30 seconds it's really great um okay i have to remember how to like do this it's literally been a month so also sorry if you hear noise my upstairs neighbors kind of noisy they're also i think putting in a new door in our apartment complex so that's been great um yeah uh, how are you guys? Are you guys good? I hope you guys are great. School started back up. Um, I'm officially now in grad school for my master's in, or whatever, master's professional studies, criminal justice, I don't know. Um, NPS. My NPS. Um, and I'm also now working at the college, and I don't work at the daycare anymore. Um, I'm not gonna lie, it's been nice. It's been nice. Um, Kids are great. Kids are awesome, actually. But it was just getting a little intense, to say the least. Um, But yeah, you know, I'm working at the college now. I work there from like 8 to noon. And then I go to class from like 1 to 4. You know, full day of school. Quite literally. Um, So yeah, I've been doing that. Um, I've been reading like 100 pages of textbooks and articles every single day, um, 100 pages per class, I have three classes, it's been, it's been a lot, I'm just basically, like, updating you guys on my life, because I feel like I haven't been able to in a while, I got a textbook in today, and the printing is so bad that the pages are all mixed up, page number one is in between, like, page eight and twelve, um, page number three is the very first page. It's amazing. I'm stressing about it later. Um, what else? What else? What else? We're redecorating. Do you guys hear that? <sighs> We're redecorating our living room. It used to be like yellow, black, gray, you know, just like cool vibed colors now we're gonna make it green but not like an ugly green like a cute green also bought a new comforter and sheet or actually i bought a new duvet cover and it's a dark green and then our sheets are like a mint green sounds like it doesn't go together but it does it's very pretty um what else i got some grow lights for my plants um and they're doing great doing fantastic lost couple over winter it's fine it happens we don't talk about it um, what else? Can I say, um, 7,000 more times? Not going to be crocheting today. 
simply because I crocheted all morning while I was stress reading and my arms hurt bad. Um, I crocheted part of a scarf. Couldn't remember the word for scarf. And then I also started on a blanket. And then I have some custom orders that I need to start on. Um, I think... I think that is all that I have to update you guys on. I think. Yeah, I'm in grad school. I'm busy as hell. Um, yeah. I don't really know, honestly. I'm trying to think of more things because I feel like there's more. <clears throat> With me being in grad school, though, here's the part that's going to make some people mad. With me being in grad school, I cannot confirm that I'm going to be able to post an episode every week obviously i mean you've seen how my channel does i don't have routine updates channel did i just say channel like i'm on youtube <laughs> my podcast i literally said channel um you've seen how my channel goes i don't have routine updates but yeah i am all over the place sporadic i update when i can and i don't tell you guys when I can't because it makes me feel bad. Um, I'm going to try to do at least two episodes a month. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. The noise is so loud. I don't know what they're doing. I really hope we're getting a new door. So we had an insane windstorm. Like basically the whole Midwest had an insane windstorm the week before Christmas, I think. It was like the 15th or something. I don't know. Um, and it literally blew our back door to our apartment complex off the hinges and like i mean it just ripped the door off hold on one second okay hi i'm back um sorry yeah so someone it sounded like someone knocked on our door but nobody did and then i went out and looked out the people nobody was there but then i saw at our window that one of our neighbors brought home a entire litter of <laughs> i think they're called red healer puppies um, so gonna text Madeline about that because we are the petty neighbors. We aren't actually petty. We just like text about it. Um, and you're, we're only allowed to have one animal in our complex. And so I'm gonna be like, they just brought home a whole litter of puppies. Yeah, it's not actually that dramatic. Anyways, so the apartment complex door got ripped off. Nobody decided, okay, let me start the story again. Not again, just give you some background details. So there's two entrances entrances to our apartment complex there's one on the side that four of the units use and then there's one on the side that the other four units use and when the door got blown off nobody texted our landlord on that side for two three days and it was freezing so like all the air was just coming into the apartment hallway and like making everybody else's apartments cold and so finally madeline informed our landlord and he was like oh nobody told me Instead of getting the door fixed, they just put plywood up. They just made a plywood door. So hopefully, that's what that sound is. And that's what they're doing. Um, also, if you hear Ellie bark, she's freaking out about the puppies. Yeah. I also need to either buy a brand new laptop or an iPad. Because my old laptop I've had since high school graduation, which is in 2016... Um, and she's done amazing. She's worked so great. She's done so much for me. But she's finally getting to the point where, like, even if I only want to get on my computer for, like, 20 minutes, I have to have it plugged in or it's going to die. So, and I know I could buy a new battery, but I feel like it's just 
it just I just need a new one. It's just that time. So within the next few days, I'm either gonna purchase a new laptop or an iPad. And I'm cringing at the price. Um but yeah, that's gonna happen. I also totally just blanked on what I was gonna say. Oh yeah. Um today's episode is going to be the start of something new. Oh my gosh, 16 years ago yesterday? 16 years ago yesterday, I think, was the um anniversary. Oh my god, can I speak? 16 years ago yesterday, High School Musical aired for the first time. That's what I was trying to say. But starting today with this episode, my podcast is going to be moving into a different vibe. Um, Not so much like just me spewing cases at you, but I want to... Sorry, the hallway is making me so distracted. And it's been a minute since I've done this. Um... I want to do cases that are more for um, spreading information and like advocating for things that I believe in, if that makes any kind of sense. So today we're going to talk about some wrongful convictions that I found on the Innocence Project website. Um, yeah, that I don't know. I think it'd be fun, but I want to do more... I don't really know how to explain it. You'll just you'll just see. I'm still gonna be posting relatively the same exact content that I was posting before. Excuse me, but just just tweaking it a little bit, you know? Just tweaking it a little bit. So yeah, grab a snack, grab a drink, grab your projects. I probably should put this pen down. I'm gonna be making noise with it. Um, and we'll hop right into it. So let me get it all pulled up. I'm gonna be using my phone for it because. because my laptop is shit um all right i'm just gonna jump right into it i just pulled the cases straight off of the innocence project website um not plagiarizing plagiarizing giving like straight credit to them they're amazing also there's local midwest or midwest there's local innocence projects where you live um most most places i think um, there's like the Midwest Innocence Project. That's who I'm under. So yeah, um, if you're ever, you know, just feeling generous to donate to someone, go find your local or relative zone Innocence Project. Donate to them. Um, <clears throat> they basically just help get people that don't deserve to be in prison or on death row uh, out of prison and off of death row. Um, so it's really great. But yeah, we're going to start talking... We're going to start by talking about Malcolm Alexander. He, in the state of Louisiana, served 38 years for a crime that he did not commit. This is going to be a theme. Sorry, my chair's being farty. Okay. On January 30th, 2018, after a reinvestigation by the Jefferson Parish District Attorney's Office, District... (laughs) District Court judge dismissed the indictment that ordered the release of Malcolm Alexander, who wrongly served nearly 38 years for a rape the DNA evidence proves he did not commit. He was arrested for the 1979 crime based on a deeply flawed, unreliable identification procedure. His paid lawyer, who was subsequently disbarred, which means, like, he wasn't allowed to practice 
as a lawyer anymore, um, after complaints of neglect and abandonment were filed against him in connection with dozens of other cases. Filed in the most basic duties to present a defense. No, he failed in his most basic duties to present a defense. Alexander was subsequently released from the Jefferson Parish Jail. Sorry, that was gross right in the microphone. Alexander has always maintained his innocence of the November 8, 1979 rape of the owner of a new antique store on Whitney Avenue in Gretna, Louisiana. That sounds like such a Louisiana town. Gretna. I love that. Gretna. Um, the victim, who was a white... Who was a white? Who was white. Duh. Um, also, Malcolm is black. Just letting you know. <laughs> you should have already guessed. Um, was grabbed from behind in an empty store by a, by a black man and taken to a small, dark, private bathroom in the back of the store where she was raped from behind with a gun to her head. Um, in February 1980, Alexander had a consensual encounter with a white woman who asked him for money and then later accused him of sexual assault. Sorry, the noises, dude. The noises. That sounds crazy. The noises. Um... This encounter, which was uncooperated and later dropped by the police, prompted police to place Alexander's photo in a photo array that was shown to the victim over four months after she was attacked at gunpoint by a complete stranger. The assailant was behind the victim for the entirety of the crime, and her opportunity to view him was very limited. According to police reports, the victim tentatively selected Alexander's photo. Result? Huh? Research has shown that multiple identification procedures can contaminate a witness's memory, cause, causing a witness to become confused about whether he or she recognizes the person from the event or the earlier procedure, while also making the witness more confident in his or her identification. Yet, police conducted a physical lineup three days later that included Alexander. Alexander was the only person from the photo array who was shown again to the victim in the physical lineup. The lead detective on the case was not available to conduct the lineup, so another detective conducted the procedure. According to the report of the lineup, the victim made a possible identification and the word tentative was written next to Alexander's lineup number. However, when the original detective returned later that day and took a statement from the victim, the victim's confidence was recorded as 98% sure that Alexander was the assailant. And by the time she got to trial, she testified that she had no doubt that he was the assailant. Blood type testing of the rape kit was available at the time. Blood type testing of the rape kit was available at the time that could either have supported the victim's identification or proven that Alexander was not the perpetrator, but that was never sought. Of course it wasn't. Because why the hell would it be? <sighs> A review of the trial record 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 reveals that Alexander's attorney failed to make court appearances and to file important pleadings, including a motion challenging the identification. A review of one-day trial transcript transcript reveals that the attorney, who was subsequently disbarred, failed to make an opening statement, did not call any witnesses for the defense, failed to adequately cross-examine the state witnesses about the identification, and presented a closing argument that was mere four pages of the 87-page transcript. I swear that was my chair, not my butt. Well, it was my butt, but in the chair. Um, Alexander received a life sentence for the guilty verdict. Although the attorney promised to file an appeal of the verdict, he never filed it. Dude, how is this guy even practicing? Honestly. 
Um, the Innocence Project first took up Alexander's case in 1996, but quickly learned that the rape kit and semen stained towel had been destroyed only four years after his conviction. Alexander never gave up and continued to fight to prove his innocence. In 2013, hair evidence recovered the location where the rape took place. Hair evidence was recovered from the location where the rape took place and was found at the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office Crime Lab. The Innocence Project brought on Innocence Project New Orleans as local counsel, and the organization sought DNA testing of the hair evidence. Three crime scene hairs had the same DNA profile that did not match Alexander or the victim. Based on this information and subsequent conversations with the victim, the Jefferson Parish District Attorney's Office moved with the Innocence Project to vacate Alexander's conviction and dismiss the indictment in court today today as in like when this article released i don't know um alexander was awaited by his son and his grandson both named malcolm as well as his mother and sister so he is out um all because people failed to do their job which is normally why these people get put in jail um i don't know if i've ranted about this before i probably have i rant about a lot of things um but in one of my classes i think it was either comparative justice systems or gender race and inequality it was probably that one um we spoke about how I, I want to say nine out of ten people sitting on death row are black individuals and a good 80% of them are innocent, especially when it involves cases that happened from like 1960 to I want to say 2000, but I know it's current. Um, and my or my professor broke it down in a way that if let's i don't want to be controversial but i'm going to if germany had the death penalty and they primarily executed jews would we be concerned truthfully yes yes and if you say no you're lying to yourself. Um, yes, we would be concerned if Germany had the death penalty and was 90%, 90% of their death penalty victims or whatever you want to call them um, were Jewish. We would raise hell. Um, but yet here in America, we are continually, continuously putting, I almost said putting down, um, killing, let's call it what it is, murdering black men who are innocent and no one cares no one cares no one cares um so yeah just just keep that in mind going forward um okay <clears throat> our next case is dennis williams dennis williams served 18 years for a crime that he did not commit before he had been granted the freedom he deserved he was sentenced to death plus 60 years because you know while you're dead might as well just get that extra time right yeah okay a young woman and her fiance had been abducted the young woman was raped and they were both murdered in an in an abandoned house dennis and his friends and co-defendants kenneth adams and willie range were residents of the neighborhood where the couple was found and were seen on the street the night of the crime Along with Vernal Jimerson, Williams, Adams, and Range were dubbed the Four Heights Four. 
Ford Heights 4, sorry. Um, also, another case you should look up is Fairbanks 4. That's a really good one, too. Also deals with the Innocence Project. Um, but the Ford Heights 4. So, Williams Adams Range were tried together in 1978 and represented by an attorney named Archie Weston. Already sounds problematic, first of all. Um, the state's chief of the crime... No, the state's chief witness in the case was Paula Gray, and she claimed to have been at the scene of the crime with the four men. After her testimony secured indictments of all four men, she recanted and the charges against Jimerson were dropped. So, during trial, the state presented eyewitnesses' testimony placing Williams, Adams, and Range near the scene of the crime at the time of the crime. There was a major timing inconsistency in the witness's account, but Weston failed to point it out to the jury. A state expert testified improperly that a hair found in Williams' car microscopically matched Williams' hair, saying, just like if you drop $2 bills and you see a dollar, you see dollar bills on the floor, you see two $1 bills, it's obvious. That doesn't make sense at all. Let me read that again. Just like if you drop $2 bills and you see... Oh my god. Did you guys hear that? This is going great. Just like if you drop $2 bills and you see dollar bills on the floor, you see two $1 bills. It's obvious. Dude, that makes me, like, that just made me mad because it's such a stupid saying. Um, anyways, microscopic hair comparison can never prove a conclusive match, but Weston failed to challenge this evidence. Hair evidence cannot be individualized based on microscopic analysis. Because there is not adequate empirical data on the frequency of various class characteristics in human hair, it is impossible to say definite, definitively that strands of hair match a particular person. Yeah, if you look at strands of hair, they look look the freaking same. That's all I'm going to say. They look the same. Um, that's why you literally can't be like, mm, well, this strand of hair matched their strand of hair. Hello? Like, anyways. Um, I lost my spot. There was also incorrect serology testimony in the case. The three men were convicted. Adams received a 75-year sentence, range of life sentence, and Williams was sent to death row plus 60 years. Williams won a new trial in 1985. Gray, who had been convicted as an accomplice and for perjury after her recantation, reverted to her original story and testified that Williams testified against Williams to gain her own release from prison. The charges against Jimerson were also refiled and both men were convicted and sentenced to death. R.T. Weston would later admit during a hearing in a different case that he was so stressed during the trial of Williams, Adams, and Range that he couldn't think straight. He was disbarred for fraud committed in another case. <laughs> nice. Um, a journal, a group of journalism students took up the Fort Heights Fort case in 1996 they found a witness who had tipped the police to the identity of the real killer shortly after the crime the police just never investigated the tip of course they didn't the investigating team also found two of the three men that were responsible for the crime who eventually confessed the third was deceased but dna testing corroborated the, the confessions williams was cleared through dna and the investigation of persistent northwestern students was released in 1986, having spent a total of over 17 years in prison on death row. I just... I just can't. Neither can Ellie. Sorry, a lot of things just happened. I had to get up and go deal with Ellie screaming at puppies. Um, so, we have another case. 
This one is Michael Green, who served 13 years for rape and aggravated battery that isn't or wasn't even. <laughs> I cannot speak. He spent 13 years in prison for a rape and aggravated battery that he wasn't even remotely present for. So, the victim was a Caucasian woman, and she was attacked in her room at the Cleveland Clinic Inn, where she was staying following cancer treatment at the Cleveland Clinic Hospital. On the night of the crime, she had responded to a knock at her door. When she opened the door, a hand reached inside and grabbed her by the throat. The assailant held a knife near her face and pushed her into a room, and they demanded money. Bro, now someone's knocking things together outside my window. I can't have anything. So, after the victim gave him some money, the perpetrator ordered her to sit on the bed and to undress. The assailant then told her to put her clothing back on and went toward the door. After he arrived at the door, however, the assailant walked back over to the victim and ordered her to undress again. He pushed the victim onto the bed and raped her. After ejaculating, the assailant grabbed a washcloth from the bathroom and cleaned his penis. The assailant then threw the washcloth on the floor and left the room. The victim testified at trial that the perpetrator said his name was Tony during the attack. Immediately after the attack, the victim went to the bathroom two times, squatted in the tub, and washed her vagina with soap. She then attempted to reach the rape crisis center, but her call went unanswered. Approximately an hour and a half after the perpetrator left her room, the victim called the Cleveland Clinic Security, who notified the Cleveland Police Department, and both agencies responded to the scene. The victim's initial description of the assailant was an African-American male, around 23 years old, 5'8", 165 pounds, medium build, brown eyes, black short afro, pock-marked face with pimples, wearing a ski a black ski cap type and a do-rag and a black t-shirt with cut-off sleeves and gray pleated pants. Miss Girl. She memorized. I'm not making fun of her. I'm saying, like, that's a good thing. Um, the police collected the washcloth and brought the victim to Mount Sinai Medical Center, where a rape kit was prepared and pubic hair samples were collected. Green, a former employee of the Cleveland Clinic, became a suspect in the case after a Cleveland Clinic security officer recognized the description given by the victim. A few days after the attack, the victim was shown a photo array which depicted young African-American males and included Green's former work identification photograph. After viewing this first array, the victim stated that she saw one person that resembled her attacker, but just not enough. The following day, she was shown a photo array which was compromised of booking photographs, Green's photograph was the only photograph repeated in both arrays. The booking photographs contained biographical place cards on them, including the subject's height, weight, and age. The card on Green's photograph gave a height and weight and age description that matched the, de- the description given by the victim of the police to the police. She identified Green as her assailant from the second photo array. Approximately one week after the crime, Green learned that he was wanted in connection with this investigation and went voluntarily to speak to the Cleveland with the Cleveland Clinic security. At trial, the prosecution's case hinged on the cross-racial cross identification made by the victim, as well as serological testing of the washcloth and that the assailant had used to wipe his penis following intercourse. The prosecution... Prosecution? 
The prosecution introduced the washcloth into evidence and relied on the testimony of the civilian scientific examiner for the Cleveland Police Department Forensic Laboratory to establish Green's identity, identity, identity as the assailant. Specifically, the examiner testified that he examined the washcloth and conducted acid photophosphatase phosphatase and P30 tests that revealed the presence of seminal fluid. Semen. He then performed conventional serological testing on the biological evidence. Results revealed that both green and the victim are type B secretors. The examiner went further and testified that he was able to determine with scientific certainty that the donor of the seminal fluid was a type B secretor, including green as a source of the seminal fluid, though serological testing could not allow him to separate the victim's profile from the assailant's. He also testified that 84% of the male population would be unable to deposit seminal fluid on the washcloth, meaning that, like, everybody else is type A. I guess. I don't know. In 1997, Michael Green contacted the Innocence Project and requested assistance with the challenge with challenging his conviction. Green insisted that he was innocent and the DNA testing would exonerate him. With the help of Green's father, Robert Mandel, the relevant evidence was located and the Innocence Project ultimately negotiated the release of the evidence for DNA testing. On May 22, 2001, Judge Anthony O. Calabrese Jr. granted Green's motion a stipulation for release of evidence for purposes of scientific testing, which was signed by Innocence Project attorneys, local counsel, and an assistant Cuyahoga County prosecuting attorney. On July 9, 2001, the washcloth collected from the victim's room at the Cleveland Clinic Inn was received by Dr. Edward Blake of Forensic Science Associates. A large stained area on the washcloth had been marked and sampled in three areas during the original evidence examination at the Cleveland Police Department Forensic Laboratory. Dr. Blake selected five discolored areas within the marked stain for examination and removed a small portion of fabric from each of these stained areas. And Ellie's going to bark soon, I'm just warning you. Dear. <laughs> the DNA from the spermatosa recovered from these five areas, eliminated Michael Green as a source of the spermatosa found on the washcloth. Aside from the DNA results, the Forensic Science Associates report, Associates report detailed the ways in which the state's expert testimony at trial was scientifically irresponsible and misleading to the jury. The victim had reported that the assailant, assailant, assailant ejaculated during vaginal intercourse and then wiped off his genitals on the washcloth. Thus, the scenario painted a clear expectation for the presence of semen commingled with the victim's vaginal secretions on the washcloth. According to Blake, in his trial testimony, the state's expert gave the impression that the semen stain on the washcloth was a neat semen stain rather than a semen stain commingled with the vaginal secretions of the victim, though he knew or should have known that the opposite was true. He had also given 16% figure for how many people out of the population were possible contributors contributors of the stains. Since Green and the victim are both B secretors, any B or O secretor, sorry, I said A earlier, or non-secretor of any blood type could have deposited the sample. Anthony Michael Green was released on October 9th, 2001 and exonerated based on post-conviction DNA testing results on October 18th, 2001. He 
He had been wrongly incarcerated for 13 years. Since his release, the real perpetrator of this crime has confessed and was convicted. In June 2004, Green reached a settlement with the city of Cleveland, and the city agreed not to only compensate him, but to create and conduct the Anthony Michael Green Forensics Laboratory Audit. Excuse me, I just burped, sorry, that's nasty. Of the city police laboratory. The audit hopes to address the causes of faulty and falsified forensics, which played a large part in Green's conviction. Green hopes that this audit will help others who, like himself, were wrongly incarcerated on the basis of false scientific evidence. Boom. So there's the cases that I wanted to bring up today. Um, I'm not always going to be covering, like, wrongful convictions. I'm just really passionate about wrongful convictions. But um, moving forward, I just want to do more cases that make me feel good covering. Um, not feeling good because people are hurt, but feeling good as in, like, I can spread awareness of this case and maybe it will help other cases be solved different. I don't know. I'm just getting ahead of myself now. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, even though I had to stop 30 times to either hack up a lung, um, stop Ellie from breaking through the window and trying to eat other dogs, even though she would 100% lose in a battle between a chihuahua, um, and uh, just not reading, being able to not read. Um, but yeah, you guys are freaking awesome. I'm so glad and so ready to be back. Um, people are screaming outside my window. I just bumped my microphone. It's a great day. Um, I love you guys. Lock your doors and don't talk to creepy men. <laughs>